Stand clear. 100% wild podcast. So for all you listeners, hello and welcome to definitely not your favorite outdoor podcast. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Drury Outdoors 100% Wild Podcast. This is episode number 206, 296, and we're powered by DeerCast. You're Tim Chelsvik. You are Matt Drury. And today, we're going to cut right through the bullshit to get some, nope. to, to, to some more bullshit. <laughs> we got Tim Wells on, and I'm excited about it. <laughs> Me too. We got the, <laughs> the slot master is, hey, this guy is a world-renowned primitive hunter. He's also, I don't know if people realize, he's also an author. He's got a book, Demon in the Darkness, that much like this podcast, is has overtones of sexual tension <laughs> in it. If you've met Tim, you know why. <laughs> <laughs> and and if, if people are living under a rock and have not visited his YouTube channel, Oh my goodness. Or his Facebook Pre- page or so any of his social. It's fun to follow along. There's he's almost at a million followers on YouTube. And there's a reason why. Yeah. You will spend some time watching some animals yeah, die. It's good entertainment. All right. Without further ado, what's up, Tim? Hey. That was quite an intro there. I, you know, I thought you were going to call me the king of bullshit for a minute. <laughs> That's coming. <laughs> That's self-evident. People will pick that up. <laughs> no, man, thanks for hopping on. We, we appreciate it. You know, um, we definitely want to get into your and Sydney's deer seasons. Um, yeah. but, but also, I think people in general are fascinated by the variety and the diversity in your out, outdoor pursuits, trapping spearing things at battle work blowgun blowgun yeah Yeah. i mean it's i i don't i mean i don't know how you keep it all straight because usually people like they pick a lane and they go with it for us it's deer it's turkey that's it yeah i mean if you got a problem baboon on your property or a kangaroo (laughs) you call tim and he'll shoot him in the chest like it's just pissing you off (laughs) (laughs) i'll take care of it now, I'm gambling on the, uh, you know, the ratings for you guys will really plunge when EHD wipes out all your deer. And then I'm the guy left that's killing baboons. You know? Mark will be calling you up on baboon rut tips. I, I know this much, Tim. I know dad's fascinated. <laughs> like he loves talking to you. He loves when you guys uh, chat on the phone. And he, he, uh, he told me one time that, and you'll have to verify if this is true, that you were a javelin thrower and it was that in high school or college, or is that kind of where you, you know, you date back to that. Is that where it started for you? Is I, the I was, you guys, I was born and raised hunting and I was throwing spears when I was a kid. You know, I'd go down to the creek and spear chubs or bullfrogs, whatever, mm-hmm. with uh, horseweeds. You've probably seen them in the barn. They're sharp on the bottom. When you pull the dead horseweed out of the ground, the bottom, the root is straight, you know, and pointy. So, uh, you know, from the very beginning, I was a spear hunter. But, yeah, I threw the, the javelin in college. That's how I paid my for my education. And uh uh, it evolved from there. I told my coach, he gave me uh, my javelin that uh, I did real well with at, a, at an event. And then he says, man, after that, you just keep this javelin, put it on the wall. And I said, you know, well, I'm going to cut the end of it off and put a spear tip on it. <laughs> you when, I kill, when I kill something with this javelin, you know, Coach Hainsey, I'm going to uh, definitely send you a photo. And by golly, uh, uh, six months after I got out of college, I speared my first big boar in texas and uh got it on video and the rest was history <laughs> that's my, awesome my context for throwing a javelin is a scene from revenge of the nerds where that <laughs> guy hooks the javelin. 
So, speaking of nerd. <laughs> oh, <laughs> beautiful. Now, I want to dive into the, the, the wolf. So, you recently, in the last few months or so, you, I guess, for a long time, you've been on a quest for a black wolf. Is this correct? Yeah. 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 I saw my first black wolf on a moose hunt in Alberta. And uh, I was. Uh, I was working a drainage trying to find some fresh moose sign and stuff. I had my bow with me. I was alone and uh, a wolf howled in the distance. And uh, so I howled and he answered and I got the wind right and swung downwind of him and started predator calling to him. And by golly, he came in. But when he came, I got a, a look at him. It was low light. Uh, there was a little bit of fog hanging in the dense canopy of the timber and uh, it was just majestic how that huge black wolf approached the predator call. I mean, he was he was low and he had his 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 feet down low, like you know you would envision a, a last stalk of a, a predator. And but he came out of bow range of me, and he was very intelligent animal. He was I was hunting him on public property where a lot of people hunt, and he had obviously uh, knew the dangers that were out there. And he was but he was still hunting me as he came to the call. And he came in about 70 yards through the timber and he started coming my way, but he, he was swinging downwind the whole time. And I was at full draw when he, when he almost stepped into my shooting lane at 50 yards, he was just about to step into it. And at that moment, I seen him stop and raise his head and like lift his body. And he, he went out of that, that kill mode and into the, Oh my God mode and he, <laughs> off he went, you know, but after that day, I said to myself, the black wolf is the ultimate challenge. If I can kill a black wolf for one, there's only one in 10 that's black. And, and, and uh, so since then I killed a few wolves, a couple with a gun and two with my bow. Uh, but I had yet to get a shot at a black wolf. And finally this year it happened. So, so take us through this. Is it, are you exclusively trying to go, I mean, you know, is it, archery for for this or gun or blow dart or is it anything that you could throw at this thing you're you're trying to get it killed tannerite you name it no i was uh, (laughs) strictly using a bow um and uh i wasn't targeting a black wolf per se like if a gray came in i wouldn't kill him obviously it's a remote chance of shooting one with a bow when your predator calling anyway uh you take the first one you get a shot at but i was hunting in an area uh where i knew there was a lot of black wolves the the ratio was almost 50 50 in this area and uh so why not the the numbers were high in ontario i'm close to red lake hunting uh with a friend of mine who set baits for i got there so that the wolves were in the area mm-hmm. that's a problem with wolf hunting um you may be the best predator caller in the world use the best sounds from fox pro and but you can call to your blue in the face and you'll never see a wolf unless you're where the wolves are because a density of wolves may be one wolf per 15 square miles. You know, they travel in packs and they're here today and they're 200 miles away the next. So I try to do my predator calling where there's baits or a, a heavy food source that, you know, your odds are better. And by golly, about day six, uh, here he came. So are you, when you go in there, is, is there a certain time of day, like, you know, white tails predominantly you're thinking, okay, in the morning they're going to bed and evening they're coming to food. Like what, is there a certain time of day that when you're wolf hunting over bait that is more prominent than others or like, what's the strategy here? Sure. Yeah. Common sense though, you know, on you, you're probably guessing they come at night and they do, uh, wolves, you know, tentatively will hunt at night. They they'll work the bait at night, but 
they, unlike a coyote, they will, you know, if you're in a dense forest where there's not a lot of human intrusion, they will work a bait in the daylight and they will hunt, you know, all day long if they're, they're hungry. And that's kind of the environment where I was at. And, uh, so in Ontario, you can't hunt them after dark anyway. Uh, why? I don't know, but it's Canada. But anyhow, <laughs> I uh, killed this wolf, you know, in the middle of the day in broad daylight and, uh, uh, it worked out pretty good, boy. He came right in. Uh, I, 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 I probably made, uh, 30, 40 sets over the, the, the previous days and had one gray wolf come in. He was a young one. I mean, he probably a 75 pound animal. Mm-hmm. He came in once again, using the wind to his favor, even though I, I moved in the best position I could to, you know, I got him to answer me. They howled in the distance. I, I worked in tight on him. Uh, what I thought was probably as tight as I could get. I howled back and then I turned on my predator call uh, a little bit. And then I mouth called and um, it wasn't, oh, maybe six minutes or so. And I caught motion and sure enough, he was running. And he was coming directly at me. Um, and it, But it was a young wolf, so he wasn't real smart. But at the last second, he veered off and took a different trail and it took it out by me and boom, he hit my wind before I could even send an arrow at him. So the calling was dry for the next uh, three or four days. And then on this day, the wolves were, were howling as I was moving through the timber to go make a set. I heard them in the distance. It sounded like they were a mile and a half out. I answered and... Uh, and then I, I moved into a good shooting position where, you know, the elevation of the, the land was dropping off straight down below me and the wolves had to cross a ravine to get to me. To, so, you know, I was set and uh, I, I waited and waited and they never did answer after the first uh, howl that they made. So I started predator calling and, uh, you know, 20 minutes went by and I was about ready to pick up and, you know, I thought, well, I'll make one more call. And I called again, called again, called again. I'm trying to emulate a, a snowshoe, which is their primary game that they hunt in this area. They kill a lot of moose, but mm-hmm. snowshoes are predominant, their food, I believe. So, you know, I, I, I continued with that and I probably put 30 minutes into the set, which I'll, I'll give a wolf about 40 minutes and then I bail and try a new spot. But I caught his motion up, up on in through the timber and, you know, I'm trying to film off a tripod and get everything set. You know, by the time I finally got him uh, as he's coming, he had moved into bow range, but I hadn't even had the bow in my hand at that point. I'm trying to get the camera into on him and I got the camera on him, but that by that point he had come in, stopped. He's about 20 yards and he's looking and he, he's just looking right through me. He never did see me. Uh, but then he backed out and I thought I lost him because I, I tried to get my bow as he's leaving. I'm, by this time, I got the camera on him and he's moving out. And so I I just did as, as he went through some really, really thick brush. I mouse squeaked to him and, and boom, he turned on a dime and then he came back. He came right back to where he stood the first time. And at this by this point, I could see my camera. You know, I can see the flip out on it and I can see he's dead center in the lens. And, and so I'm waiting, I'm waiting and he's kind of. All of a sudden, he tucks his head down a little low and he looks at me. He, he doesn't know what I am, but he knew something was odd and he backed out on me. And he swapped in so quick, I couldn't get a shot at his lungs. I wanted to stick one up his butt, but I thought I better not because there wasn't much snow on the ground. So I let down and, he, and he, he didn't run. He just toddled up. And then he went up in the brush a little bit. And I waited and I, I got ready to call and the curiosity was too much for him. He came back down. Now he's crossing to my right. And so I swiveled the camera just a little bit and I put it on the only hole I had. And I said, if you step in that hole, you're dead. You know, and I, he started coming down the hill 
And right as his nose got through the thick stuff where his peripheral vision couldn't see me, I came to full draw. And when I, when I did, he stopped right before he stepped in the hole and started analyzing everything. So I'm at full draw waiting on him. Finally, he, he said, I'm going to take one more step. And he stepped into the hole. And when he stepped in the hole, he turned and he turned right at me. And when he turned at me, I'm like, oh, my God, I, I got to wait for him to go broadside. And I'm, I'm starting to get the shakes a little bit. Mm -hmm. But but he just hesitated for a moment. And then he quartered at me a little bit. And I smoked him right there. But I hit him a little high. But I, I chopped him up pretty good. He didn't and, go far. Uh, he didn't make far. I mean, I, I shot him with a Grim Reaper, a two-inch uh, whitetail head. And it opened him up like a can of sardines. He was uh, he left bl plenty of blood to recover. And. I followed him up and uh, by golly, he was still alive, but he wasn't doing too good. And I shot him again. And that was my story. So I got a, too many questions. <laughs> I got a lot. We should do a podcast on this. Yeah. So you're on the ground, right? I mean, you are you making a makeshift little blind in front of you? Some, uh, you know, limbs uh, or? You know, in Canada, for most part, where the wolves live, the, they live in a paradise of of heavy canopy, but it's silent. Uh, it's so silent where the wolves live for the most part on a day when the wind's not blowing, it's eerie. Uh, it's, uh, the, it's not, it's, it's almost like a cross between the tundra and a wet oak forest, you know, where it, there's a canopy, uh, covers the bottom of the, of the, of the ground and you can walk like a silent, like a mouse through it. So you can get in tight on the wolves. So you get in there and there's a, vegetation everywhere if you're in real good habitat there's a lot of undergrowth you know you you wear the right camouflage i wear mossy oak and i blend right in you know some guys will wear a mask but you know i don't know anyone else that bow hunts wolves but if i was you know a, a mask could help but i haven't noticed a difference i just make sure that everything behind me from the anticipated uh where the wolves are going to come from, everything behind me is breaking up my silhouette. And if you hold still and you don't panic, you know, when it's all about visual, you know, when he's coming, if you played the wind right, he's not going to smell you unless by golly, he circles you. So if he, if he makes the mistake and comes directly at you, and I'd use the same technique on coyotes when he comes directly at me, it's all about visual. So he's looking, he's looking. And, you know, if I'm using electronics, I put them upwind to me. So he's coming downwind of the call, trying to smell the call or smell the whatever's happening. He's not trying to smell the wounded rabbit. If it's a coyote, for example, he's trying to find who's killing that rabbit. Is that a predominant male that will kill me? Or is that a subordinate that I know of that I'll rush in there and take it from him? So that's how I play him. But with a wolf, if your mouth calling, he's coming at you. So it's visual, you know, and he's looking directly at you. So when they come, you're just watching the eyes, watching the eyes, watching the eyes. And then when the, the moment the wolf steps with his peripheral vision blocked by brush or something, I come to full draw. And so when I set up, I always look ahead of me. And, you know, most predator hunters want to sit on the edge of a field or somewhere where they can see everything. That's because they're shooting a 243 at them. But with me, I want to find a lot of debris in front of me. I want to make it difficult for him to get a look at me as he's coming, or at least when he's on the move, he has to cross these things. And by golly, when he comes out, I'm already at full draw. Now I'm as deadly as a rifle hunter because I'm at, I'm ready and he's coming. And that's how I killed the wolf. And that's how I've killed, you know, thousands of animals my whole life. So is there, I mean, when, when he's, you know, like you basically said, he's trotting right at you. <clears throat> mm -hmm. I mean, are you, you've killed a lot of stuff in your day. I don't, I don't uh, assume this is the case, but 
is there the nerves come into play right at that point where it's like, man, what if he gets in too tight or if, I guess there is no such thing, especially if you're archery hunting like that. But is there a point where you start thinking, oh, you know, I may be in trouble if he, you know, if he comes this way versus that way or, you know, is there any point where you're getting scared? Uh, well, I never really got scared, but yeah, there was a lot of worrying going on that he'll get away, you know, cause, uh, for every predator I kill, there's three or four, five that came in and got away, you know, uh, when I'm in my home turf and I'm trying to eliminate coyote populations, I set traps for them and I take my 22 Magnum and I wear them out so that none of them get away. At least the most of them don't get away. But when I'm bow hunting, I'm doing it for my passion. It's a sport. I've already given up knowing that most likely every predator I call in will get away. And every time I get one, it's that's that much more exciting bonus. That's how I whitetail hunt. Yeah. yeah. I, I, you don't, there's no reason to fear a wolf. The, I mean, your odds of getting killed on the way to the place that you're driving to, you know, by a, an illegal is higher than if you uh, get mauled by a, a wolf. Yeah. So <clears throat> what, what kind Great of red what kind of red tape is there as far as getting the tags? Is it just the landowner or the place that you're at? They have all that. You're, you're, you know, how does no, that it, work? Uh, wolves are uh, easy. You just buy a tag over the counter in Ontario. You can buy two. I think out of stater uh, tags are 200 bucks roughly. Mm-hmm. And uh, you go hunting. Now the hard part is getting them home. Once you get them, then the greenies are involved and they want us to have all these sighties permits and so forth to take the fur across and you don't want to wing it because if you get caught going across a state line or a, uh, uh, you know, country line uh, without your CITES permits and everything, then the Lacey Act kicks in, which can give you, you know, a lot of trouble, thousands upon thousands of dollars and years in prison. So uh, because of the red tape with transporting your game, once you kill them, I have finally come to the point in my life where I never bring a trophy home. Uh, I leave it in the place of where I killed it until it's, you know, whether it's taxidermy work I want done or if there's something about it I want done, I leave it there for a year, uh, let them take care of it, pay the extra fees. That way, if I get a rogue uh, agency that really, you know, has it in for me, you know, they've only, they've only got so much time that they've got to, you know, tell you, Hey, we got you. Well, you know, if I don't take it across state line, they may get me and I'll write them a hundred dollar check. But if I took it across state line and they got me because I tagged it on the left foot and I'm not on the right foot, then, you know, I don't go to jail over it at least. Tim, something you might want to consider is wrapping that pelt in fentanyl because it's easier (laughs) and there's less of a penalty for bringing that into the country. Yeah. Yeah. Something to think about. so So much politics with, uh, television and hunting and film permits and uh you know i have never got a game violation in my life but i know it's coming uh and it won't be because i i intentionally broke the law it's just uh you know i got a call three months ago from a game warden in uh alaska who someone had turned me in for killing a black-tailed deer with a blowgun uh, you know, and come to find out they found this blacktail dead in a, a park. Someone had shot with a blowgun with one of my blowguns. And uh, somehow I, I was turned in for the guy to kill. I hadn't been to Alaska in two years. So wow. <laughs> that, but, you know, those kind of things uh, happen. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, if, if you make an accident someday, you know, carry 
a duck out of a, you know, state, if you kill a duck in, in Missouri and you come to Illinois with it and uh, you forgot to buy your state duck uh, stamp or maybe that duck, you killed him a day after season, didn't know it, whatever, but you took him across state lines, then you broke the Lacey Act. And that's worse than if you robbed the gas station. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and that's it's... law that, uh, you know, uh, you know, I had uh, talked with Donald Trump Jr. about, you know, this, that is that is the the way that people, the, the law enforcement agencies can persecute hunters uh, and, you know, ju federal judges that hate us hunters, you know, tr that stop and ban grizzly hunting and ban wolf hunting. They'll do anything or use any law they can to persecute you for killing an animal and if they can figure out a way to catch you on a technicality and then you took that animal across state lines they are going to use that lacy act against you and it's unconstitutional but nobody spent the money and the effort to fight it and uh, we as hunters at some point need to address this horrible situation that we're in and in the meantime the best bet if you're hunting out of state you're hunting you know in a different country you you better know all the laws and regulations and, and, and even like if you're in africa there are so many things that can influence you that even your outfitter itself, himself may not know. That's why I would advise anybody that uh, is nervous about this kind of thing to, you know, leave your animal and let it rest. That way everything blows over after your videos are released. Mm -hmm. You know, if miraculously something weird went wrong and you broke the law, you're not going to prison over it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a t definitely a touchy subject <clears throat> and one that, you know, everybody, I don't know many people, I don't know any people that are intentionally trying to, like you said, break the law. There's so many technicalities. I think for instance, here's one that could get, get somebody in trouble this coming weekend. If they weren't paying attention to it, your home state there of Illinois, I believe this year, this is what I've heard. And I, I'm about to go do the research. I believe you have to now have a, a hunter's orange on all four sides of the blind if you're in a box blind during the firearms portion there and so i believe that's a new i think that's new for this season and so i'm going to illinois this weekend i'm hunting at a buddy's and he and i have been texting about it he's looking the law up i'm gonna go look it up and see is it a you know 12 by 12 or mm -hmm. what is it you got to do but that's a technicality and that it's a new there's new laws and regs every year yeah. you have to pay attention to that stuff and and it's on you to know the law it's a flashing orange strobe. That's the sad part. You know, it's on us and, and it doesn't have to be in the manual that they that you pick up at the gas station. They can still have a law that's not even in writing that you don't know about and you can you're still gonna pay for it. You know. Yeah. yeah. So uh, it's, it's it's tough. You know I, I know we've got off on the right on the sub. We're gonna talk about whitetails today, but you know, one question that is always good for a podcast and is very volatile uh question to ask, but there are some laws, you know, there's guys that want to persecute a television, you know, producer or somebody that's making a YouTube uh, clip or something because he slipped up and didn't tag his deer right where it was at. And he moved it and broke the law by doing that. But at the same time, they want to throw rocks inside their glass house. But, you know, hey, the same guy that's throwing rocks at me, he drove 65 mile an hour to work and the speed zone there is 60 mile an hour. Now he's risking the life of people on the road. Meanwhile, I made a little mistake with a deer. You know, that's going to happen. Uh, so why do we have to try to ruin someone's life over little technical 
mistakes with hunting. You know, it's just mm-hmm. that's where we've come uh, in this environment that we're in, mostly because we're a conservative group of people. You know, we are conservatives and we are persecuted by liberals. Well, and the, the 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 really difficult juxtaposition is you see all these other crimes that are going unprosecuted, like right. really serious crimes that are yeah. that are just you know that everyone turns a blind eye to, and you're like, well, this guy killed a squirrel one day before a season started, and all of a sudden he's his truck is impounded, and his gun's been taken, right. like 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 there's just no. There's I just went no, into the, you know, the grocery store with 900 of my friends and we looted the place and took everything out. Nobody got a ticket. But on my way home, I uh, ran over a squirrel and now I'm going to jail next week. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know your, your points, uh, you know, well taken and you're right. Yeah, that's uh, I, I, I I'm constantly talking about that. But on another subject, Sydney and I didn't break the law this year with whitetails and we got lucky enough to kill two big monsters. So it was pretty exciting for us. Yeah. That you guys, you, you've had a hell of a year and she, and it always impresses me just following along year to year. You, so you guys are hunting what I would say, you know, the most mature, I think you take, you know, joy in that chess match of trying to catch yeah. up with a mature animal. Right. And, and, and it's not easy to do. And Mark and Terry, have, have, you know, are in that same category that you are. And the rest of us are trying to get to that, that level. And once they get past four years old, they just become really smart and, and, uh, hard to catch up to. Well, you and your daughter, Sydney have caught up to two giants this year. She caught, it feels like every year she's on a giant and, uh, it's impressive. You know, you guys are archery only, you know, for the most part. And I, I don't, you guys don't really do, you don't do any gun hunting for whitetails. Do you? No, huh? No, that's for people that are just learning how to hunt. That's me. That's me. Tim does That's me. I, I can't wait till anything. this weekend to get a gun in my hand in Illinois as I need all the help I can get. So, you know, you guys are always saying you're after Big Louie. I guess is this the term you put down for any mature buck that you're yeah. after, Big Louie? Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Big Louie. That's the name of every big buck that ever stepped out in front of me. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, so take me through Some this. Of them have two names. There's big Louie until we kill him and realize, Oh my gosh, I just killed Goliath or, you know, Sydney killed, you know, Bullwinkle this year, but you know, it's big Louie until you recognize who he really was. Yeah. So, so when you guys are putting the game plan together and you know, I don't know how much acreage you hunt, I don't know, you know, what your setups are, but you, you, I think your son hunts as well. Right. And your wife sometimes hunts with you guys. So, you know, what, what's the strategy when you're putting a plan in place to, you know, Hey, you're going over here, you go, is everybody making their own decisions? Or are you kind of saying, Hey, tonight, why don't you go over there and I'm going to go sit over here. Or what's the plan going in? Well, Sydney's not a real good hunter, but she's really good at knowing where I want to be. So she <laughs> slock blocks me a lot year after year. You know, Her mom's a lot, a lot that way, but uh, her camp- like that. <laughs> the tree a lot so usually the big louie escapes and i do tend to get back in there and get them but no we 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 uh we root for each other and uh every evening the phone's ringing okay where are you going to go what do you think the winds which way is the wind direction blah 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 i think we're all in that you know as families that hunt together it's the same way you know you you're rooting for your daughter your wife and so you put them in the best spot you take the next best spot you kill a big buck and then you you get you know chastised for the next yeah. three weeks but we, we work together as a team and uh we we knock out the three or four best spots every evening or every morning and we we spread out and that's the way we hit them 
All right. So what's the, the kind of the backstory for these two this year? So uh, I have killed in my lifetime probably 65 to 70% of my deer the, when the, within the seven days of Halloween. I don't know. It could be Illinois, but that is that time of the year where I kill all my big brutes. Yeah. And, um, you know, my theory is they just, at that point in time, they are vulnerable to talking to you. If you're rattling, if you're snort wheezing, if you're grunting, they're, you know, they're more receptive to those vocalizations. And, uh, you know, over my lifetime, I'd like to say that I've kind of pride myself in knowing when, how, and where to make those noises that lure them close. And uh, that's what happened this year. I had a, uh, I was hunting Bullwinkle, which is a giant deer that Sydney later killed, but he was notoriously in this area that I was hunting. Um, but Goliath, uh, he, he would visit there occasionally. We would catch him on our, our trail cameras, but, uh, he, he's generally a half mile south of me. Now I'm hunting a thousand acres, uh, give or take, uh, one square block, uh, that I, my father and I owned. And, uh, that's, that's the particular farm that I was hunting on this day. And, uh, on that farm, we know of at least four deer that we would arrow if we got the shot at them. And we try to kill our deer, uh, no less than five years of age. We prefer to shoot them at six or seven. Uh, but that's another subject. But anyhow, that day, I, that, that, that crack of, uh, crack of dawn, I, uh, I snort wheezed. It was a, a beautiful morning. The, the, the leaves were just hanging. There was no breeze and uh, what little breeze there was, it was perfect in my face. And um, it wasn't 15, you know, not even 15 minutes, maybe 10 minutes after I made a real loud snort weed that went up a huge valley. Uh, my cameraman, you know, whispered to me that there's a, it looks like there's a big six pointer standing on the, on the ridge. <laughs> and uh, I, I put my binoculars on him and uh, yeah, it was a 16 pointer and he <laughs> missed him away. <laughs> and for the video, I can't wait to air a video. It's just going to be so, it was one of the best kills uh, that I've ever had on a big whitetail. Mm. And uh, we've been seeing this deer for off and on. Sydney actually passed him last year when she got chewed out for not shooting him. Uh, but she passed him. She she rattled him in to a uh, uh, cut cornfield. He came off a ridge, came walking in, looked around a little bit in front of her, and she looked him over and she let him go. He's probably 160, 65 inches then, a, a beautiful 12, uh, six by six. And uh, but she let him go. And I can't believe what he blew up into this year. You know, he's uh, he's in the upper 80s, mid, low 90s. But anyway, he, here he come. He come down through the valley. He did everything like you hope for. He's turning his head side to side. He's giving us all the looks. He walked up. He came back up the ridge. And uh, my the only thing I would have changed is put the cameraman in my stand and being his. But my cameraman was in front of me, and I'm shooting over the top of his head. Um, but the cameraman, the, the deer's coming straight into the lens. He comes right up, but then right at the last minute when I'm hoping he turns right, he turns left. And so now he's going to go behind my cameraman who's sitting down and you know what that's like with no wind or nothing. He's going to have to rotate or stand. So the deer takes a couple of steps to the left and he's about, he's about, I don't know, 10 or 11 yards straight down and I'm watching him and, and uh, I'm kind of watching my cameraman. He had the lens on him, but 
I'm like, man, if he goes any further left, we're going to have to risk it and have the cameraman stand up and put the camera on him. But that deer just for no reason just turned and just came right around in front of the, the camera and stopped at five yards right in front of us. And I doubled him. And then he, he ran down about 10 yards and fell over dead. Wow. It's, it's there's you, you talked about you, you, you have a, a knack for calling and, and there is an art to that. I always felt like Mark had a knack for that as well. And he says now he doesn't he doesn't do as much calling as he used to. It's just the right scenario, and and he kind of knows when and and all that. So in this case, did you had you rattled? Had you you know what were you doing in order for that deer to come to your position, or were you just had your tree stand in the right position this day? Oh, absolutely not. He was coming the whole way. You could see he was coming, looking for me. And uh, anybody that's rattled a lot of deer or snort wheezed them in, you will be astonished if, if you've never done it to, to know that a deer that hears you a quarter mile away will come and stand under your tree, stop, snort wheeze, blow up and look around for you. They have a, un, they're like a gobbler. I mean, think about calling in a big Tom. Why is it that he will run all that way and then stop on a dime right where you're at looking for you the deer the same way as the bull elk i mean i called a bull elk this year uh in new mexico and that thing came and came and came and stopped right where i was at animals can do that we could never do that but that whitetails have that ability and the big mistake the guys make is they're like oh my gosh there's a there's a big buck you know after they've rattled or hardly any of them snort wheeze blindly that's usually uh oh my gosh he's leaving i gotta snort wheeze see if he'll turn back but that's a big mistake but when they see the deer immediately they want to call to him grunt clang their horns or snort wheeze and you know a seasoned whitetail hunter if he's called if he's rattled or snort wheeze, if he see if you see a buck and he's he's maybe passing slightly or he's coming your way but he's going to crisscross don't worry about it. He's just picking his path to you. He knows where that sound came from. He's going to pick his path. He might be swinging downwind. He might be hit, going down in the valley to hit a little trail that brings him right up to you. Whatever it is, be patient enough to not deliver your second call until the moment that you realize that he's going to hit your wind or he's going to he's going to leave. Yeah. You know, give him time instead of jumping on that call immediately. And uh, because a big six-year-old or seven-year-old, you know, once he gets in tight on you and he's within 100 yards of you and you you blow your grunt call at him, he's heard every deer in that valley 50 times grunt. And on this day, when you deliver a grunt call to him, it may be a sound to him that he says to himself, that's a mature buck. And what I found is that deer that make it to six, seven years of age are more of curious shy personalities they are the, every animal has his own personality especially the deer and the big seven-year-olds and eight-year-olds are really really from what i found they're the shy they're the guys that you know always stayed in the back they're the guys that don't want to fight they're the guys that are very submissive and that's why their genetics a lot of time are not carried throughout the herd because they're easily bumped off a doe. But likewise, they're not willing to take a risk to run in and fight or I don't recognize that call. I don't recognize that grunt. So, you know, the next buck that's a four year old that may be aggressive personality, he'll blow up and come right in. He's the one that gets killed. 
And so he never makes it to six, seven years old. If you want to shoot one of them giants, you got to be really cautious about how you talk to him, how you call to him, where you set up. You know, why, you know, if you leave odor in the timber where you're at brushing some foxtail on your way to and from your tree stand, you know, that aggressive five-year-old may ignore it and come back three days later. But that old shy seven-year-old, he's going to pick a new trail when he goes by your tree stand. And I live and die on that, you know, that theory, you know, that every animal I uh, try to kill, if he's a big giant, then... I figure he's scared, you know, he's always scared or he's really submissive. And so I don't overcall to him when he gets in tight and I let mother nature take its course as he starts getting close. And generally if he's coming because he heard you call rattle or, you know, it's cause he's curious. He didn't, he's not really wanting to come and fight. He's, he's just curious. And, but if he didn't hear you call again, he's going to settle his curiosity and come on in there to bow range. So two questions. The first you said, uh, when a deer's, when he's going away, a lot of guys snort wheeze and that's a, a big mistake. Can you dive into that a little further? What you're, what you're alluding to there? Most, most hunters use the same call throughout their life. You know, they got the same favorite grunt call. They got that same set of antlers if they think are magic. You know, and they sound the same every time they snort wheeze. You know, when a buck comes in, the first thing a guy does when that buck hits your wind, hits his wind, or maybe skylines you in the tree stand, or sees something that's not right, he swaps in and he starts leaving. The first thing they want to do, especially older seasoned hunters that have seen the the the, the snort wheeze work, they give him that snort wheeze, and when he hears that. 75% of the time, he's going to hightail it right then. Boom. He's like, I knew it was a hunter. Boom. He's gone. If you use that snort wheeze on him again, he's going to, he's going to, the snort wheeze is meant for a deer that is casual. That deer needs to be, if he's on pins and needle, it never works. But if, a, if it, if that deer is searching or just rambling through the timber, what I like to do, the snort wheeze works best when a deer is crossing upwind of you. Now, why is that? It's because the deer, uh, you know, they they realize that everything downwind of them can smell them. So if you see a big buck and he's crossing 120 yards upwind of you, that's the pr perfect time to give him a snort wheeze. Because at that moment, you said, you're upwind of me. I smell you. I don't know where you're at, but I smell you and I don't like you. And that's a very natural delivery. Another big old buck, if you walk, he comes up and he gets nervous and he sees something or he doesn't like the way things are set up or your decoy don't look quite right and he turns in and starts leaving, another buck's not going to snort wheeze at him at that moment. It would never happen. He's going to let him leave. It's when he comes in tight where he might snort wheeze or he gets upwind of him. Most hunters probably never recognize that most snort wheezes occur when there's another animal upwind of that individual. And that's something I picked up on my whole life and I used it against him and I've killed a lot of big bucks that way. So do you do much blind calling do you, or do you wait till you see one, visually see it and then, you know, then do what you got to do? What's that? I said, do you do much blind I'm calling? Losing. Like, but you, you know. Yeah. You, every time I hunt that magic time of the year, that's when I do all my calling. And then we taper it off. Like right now we quit calling. Yeah. Yeah. Do you ever get in a get scenario? This... Like anybody. Deer, 
deer will snort wheeze at each other has nothing to do with breeding you know they'll snort wheeze at each other when they're feeding stuff so uh, you know if i see a deer that's not going to close within bow range of me and he's upwind of me i may snort wheeze at him but i don't do any blind calling this time of the year because it has more negative impact than it does positive for my for my herd makes now, sense if i'm down in texas uh, next week i'll be rattling every 30 minutes and probably four or five little runts will be running up to me you know it's all everybody's got uh you know we know that uh, deer are, are virtually different species in different zones of the country and they all have different uh you know characteristics that we you know, use against them yeah 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 so <clears throat> there's no written rules to anything yep the ones I hunt are unkillable. That's their characteristic. <laughs> I think it's you and I, Tim. <laughs> no, no, no. We have, a, we have a hunting podcast, man. We're pros. Yeah, yeah. Pros at bullshit. <laughs> so before Loan we... Hey, loading, loading your gun. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right. For, for those that may be hiding under a rock and, and don't know, your daughter, Sydney, she uh, is kind of the head of the Barstool Outdoors portion of, of Barstool Sports. And she's the host and, you know, does all the, the apparel and she's all over the place hunting and fishing. And it's really fun to follow along. And she's been she's a great ambassador for for all of us because it's not just a pretty face, which she is, but she's got those killer instincts that you, you know, I think, you know, that, that you guys have worked on probably her, her whole life and you could let her loose anywhere and she's going to come back with something dead. I have a feeling. And that must be, <laughs> that must make you very proud to see what, you know, where she's taken that. And it's really a, it turned into a, a, another career that has nothing to do with you, which is the, the, really the coolest part of all of it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, the only good thing about my involvement in her life is that, you know, I think it substantiates a little bit uh, the naysayers who think it's just another pretty girl that's trying to get, draw attention because they know that's not the case because she was a killer before she ever worked for Barstool. Yeah. And then being a killer made it that much, you know, tougher for her to get that job because they were, you know, they're looking at videos of her standing over dead coons and dead stuff she killed and she's laughing and high-fiving her dad because they're excited they got coon for dinner you know <laughs> but uh it came through and they liked uh sydney and she got the job and after she got the job uh, barstool outdoors is uh just did nothing but climb in the ratings and the standings and and i'm really proud of her she's kicking butt yeah, you, you should be. And so she's, you know, just following along. She's had a couple of fantastic whitetail seasons, this being another one of them this year. Uh, and, and so kind of briefly take us through that giant, because it's another old mature deer that you guys were both after. I'm sure the whole family was after. And what's the kind of the, the backstory with this one? So that's uh, a deer we call Bullwinkle. Um, he's a, a cool deer. I got a lot of trail cam pictures of him growing up. And uh, the first pass on that deer was my wife. She had him come in and he sparred in a food plot in front of her. Uh, that was when he was a four-year-old. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was a beautiful wide deer then. Uh, and then uh, that later that season, he came again with another deer and uh, was was kind of walking around and they didn't spar, but they were doing their thing in front of us. We were decoying that day. And that's the second time I got the video of that deer. And then the next year, uh, 
you know, I got more video of him, never got him within bow range by this point. He's a five-year-old. And, uh, uh, no, I take that back. He, he vanished on us the next year, the year after he came in and we were going to kill him. Now he's a six-year-old. And, uh, I saw him one time and it never got the shot at him. And I knew when I seen him that time, this is the deer that I'm going to hunt. You know, this is the deer I want to kill. Later that fall, I killed a, a deer called Sidekick, which was a beautiful, I don't know, he, I think he had 14 points and he was in the upper 80s. But uh, I waited for that deer anyway. Bullwinkle was so unique. He he lays out and he's, you know, 24 inches wide. and. Wow. He uh, notoriously likes cameras, all my trail cameras. There he is walking in front of me. Mm. One night, must have been like two in the morning, he came in and he turned and he's, he's turning and he's walking right at the camera. He's in crystal clear, perfect video. There's a shooting star went across the sky right, right above his head. Man, that is the best trail camera ever. <laughs> and so I, uh, I, I had a dozen pictures of him doing the same thing, coming in and turning, coming right into the camera, one after the other, one after the other. He'd always do that. And I, I sat in that timber right there beside that camera for weeks, <laughs> never, never saw him. So now another year passes by. Now he's, uh, let's see, he's six and a half. Okay. So the year he's six and a half, we haven't seen the deer, but he's on my trail cameras again. Carrying Sydney and I, I'm using every technique, rattling, you know, grunting, snort, wheezing around the holidays. You know, now we're converting to food plots. We're, we're trying new areas that we never hunt because we haven't seen in the daylight. Well, all along, I think what he was doing is he was living on the neighbor in the daylight and coming over to see all my girls at night and, <laughs> and come get my food because I got to watching and I don't run very many trail cameras. Um, one thing about my hunting is, you know, we are miles apart on our technique kind of is, you know, I don't rely on technology so much uh, as I do on instincts. And so we don't have a lot of trail cameras. Uh, we have the best muddy sponsors in the world, but we choose not to hunt out of box blinds. We like to give the deer the advantage. You know, if you get downwind of us, you're going to smell us. That's our fault. And so we hunt out of tree stands. So we make it hard on ourselves, but we never did really see the buck see us or slip up. You know, we didn't, I don't think that he caught us, but at any rate, uh, that was our year. We're going to get him when he's six and a half and doggone it, the neighbor shot him. And so the neighbor called me and uh, said, uh, we shot this huge, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I showed him a picture. He goes, he goes, yeah, that's him. He said, can we track him? He went on you. And I'm like, oh, man, now I'm really sick. He's, he's wounded. And so uh, they looked all over and, you know, I'm pulling my hair out because it's right in the middle of the rut. And they're all over my farm looking for this deer. And finally they're done. And so uh, I went out of curiosity. I'm like, I'm going to go pull my trail cameras and i had them all on video mode and there's old bullwinkle buddy he's like two hours after he'd been shot and he's he's he's, he's favoring his foot man and he's walking and he comes right by where the shooting star had him and he comes right by that trail camera he's walking by in broad daylight and i'm like and i could get a real good look at him a young kid had shot him and it hit him in the shoulder and there wasn't an arrow in him and they found the arrow with only about that much blood on it wow. so i'm like yes and so that winter Boom. I, I, I seen him, uh, the last couple of weeks of, uh, deer season, he came out in the stand in soybeans and, uh, he was doing good. So, but you know, 
you still can lose a deer after he's been wounded. They are, oh, they're yeah. weaker and, and, you know, they're trying to recover. And I got coyotes at the lore and, you know, mother nature's cruel to older animals. So, you know, the time went by, I couldn't find his antlers, never did find his antlers. And uh, so now he's seven and a half years old. So this year I got trail cameras out. I think I ran about 10 in the area on that thousand acres. So, you know, that's just nothing, but, uh, one trail camera caught the half of his antler and uh, as he's going by and and i could see no that is bullwinkle you know i mean i could see all the antler you know in just a little bit of the ear so i was like i only have one buck on, on this farm that's 25 inches wide and that's you yeah. bullwinkle i got him. and so but man i could not get him on any trail cameras again i never saw him i never saw him uh, but i continued to hunt him based on his home turf which he liked last year and uh i kept hunting those areas and so one morning sydney and i looked at the wind and i said you want to go to the thicket and she says there's not nothing we haven't seen a lot of sign in there i said hey you know that's where bullwinkle lives i mean let's try it today we haven't been in there and so uh you know first light i cracked the horns and uh had a couple little bucks come in messed around with them a little bit and then uh we sat till almost 9 30 you know and uh my buddies were back in town they're hunting another farm close by and carrie's out she's our everybody's out of the tree now and they're all heading for biscuits and gravy and so we're like looking at each other and it's kind of warm and it's prime time but yet we're still thinking biscuits and gravy coffee and you know the camaraderie everybody having breakfast want to join Sid's like yeah let's give it another 15 minutes and she says let me rattle and i'm like okay <laughs> so she rattles puts the horns down we're we're talking and i i got my phone out i'm facebook and you know i'm doing facebook live all right and the little buck comes by i was showing sydney i'm making fun of her and stuff and it wasn't 30 seconds after i turned the facebook live off put it down i said you ready to get down and she goes wait there's a deer and i looked and I, all i could see was some antlers in the brush and well it was a little it was a little 10 and he was in there and he was looking for Sydney. She had just rattled, you know, mm -hmm. and he was looking, he was prancing back and forth. And I don't know what I was doing, but I had the camera, obviously. I looked in the way and I looked back and I look at him again. I'm like, Sydney, that's a big buck. She goes, no, he's a little 10. So what had happened? That little guy had come in. Well, Bullwinkle had slid in behind him somehow. There was a wall of autumn olive in front of us. And there was just a little bit of opening where I was trying to pull deer into and some trails and stuff that crossed within bow range in an opening and it's but he was behind that and it was bullwinkle but all i could see was this big rack on him and i said no i think that was a big one she goes dad you always say that and, and you know and she's practically whispering out loud you know and all of a sudden here he stepped into the hole i didn't even have my camera on and he's coming man he he's all come he's bristled up and he's coming through the hole I no sooner flipped the camera on, pulled it up, tried to get it on him, and, and I'm shooting to the left. I mean, then I catch him on the side, and I get him, and I'm trying to get him in focus. Boom, I got him. I got him, and I'm steady on him, and he's going through one little hole, and Sydney's already at full draw, and right when he hit the hole, I, I went, Mah, and he didn't do nothing, so I went, Mah. and then he slammed on the brakes and looked her way, and at that moment, boom, she drilled him. And down the hill, he swapped in and ran right down the hill, 
And, uh, you know, we looked at each other and I said, you just shot Bullwinkle. <laughs> you know, man, when we walked up to that buck laying there, I mean, oh, man, if I ever was going to cry, it was then, but I held it back. But it was an emotional moment. And, uh, you know, Sydney Slock blocked me once again and she got my <laughs> That's such, I mean, to be able to share those memories together, because I'm sure like we do, you guys probably split up a lot too and hunt, you know, separate, separately at the same yeah, times and absolutely. to be there yeah. together. Uh, that's pretty special. Yeah, that was a, that was a pretty neat memory for me. If I don't kill another big deer the rest of my life, that will be one that uh, keeps me satisfied. Wow. No doubt. Well, we appreciate you sharing both those stories with us. It's just, you guys have had a phenomenal season and it's, uh, it's, it's one of those things where it's obviously it's, it's not well-deserved. It's well-earned mm-hmm. you guys, you know, putting in the time and the effort. And, and it's a lot of, you know, you, you talked both stories, you talked about passing the deer early on and that's, you know, obviously the, the hard part for all of us is to, to, to see the potential and then to pass one and hope that it makes it through the gun seasons and the, you know, the, the neighbors and all the things that can go wrong, hell hit by a car, you know, or drug down by coyotes or whatever. There's a lot that can go wrong. One of our team members, Adam Anderson, just this morning shared on Facebook, a beautiful four, four and a half year old buck that, that was a big deer that he elected to pass you know he felt like if he could just live another year or two if he got lucky he'd be a world-class animal and you know the deer got killed you know by the neighbor during gun season and you're happy for the neighbor you're happy for him and that's just kind of the perils of of passing deer you never know what's that new country song that the, the guy says he got advice from his grandpa or his dad it says buy land by dirt yeah 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 well we have been poor our whole lives and uh it's all because all we do is buy land you know (laughs) me and the bank we own a lot of land but that's about all we got the more money money we get the more land we buy you know and it's just because of our passion for wildlife and conservation and trying to buy them dang bucks time you know you're trying to give them a big enough property i got you know, neighbors every year say, yeah, we're going to wait, wait for the form to get old. And then, these, you know, halfway through the season, they send you a picture of a beautiful four-year-old. You're know, like, okay, just keep waiting, I guess. <laughs> but, you know, the more you could spread the land out or get your neighbors on your team, the better you're going to be. And, uh, you know, but everybody has different uh, objectives. You know, some guys just want to shoot a deer and they don't care if it has horns or not. And if you can convince them to shoot does and leave your bucks alone, you're all the better off. But sometimes that's not the case. And, you know, I'm the first guy to admit, and I, you know, uh, these folks like to watch our shows and Drew's you guys do the best of anybody, you know, all those big bucks just amazes me how you can get on them. But, you know, we have to be honest, you know, it's, uh, it's all about, it's, that's my hunt grandpa just walked in anyway it's all about uh you know access to big animals and and to do that it takes money and it takes patience and time but it takes money and it takes land and you know the the kid that's uh hunting 40 acres uh with public land all around him you know you can't blame that kid for shooting a two-year-old when it comes by and uh you know you just got to encourage those kids to enjoy hunting and that's the way it's been with sydney and clint growing up 
they whacked a lot of my three-year-olds, you know, and they whacked, whacked a lot of my two-year-olds. I'll never forget sitting in the line with Clint. Clint was the first kid to kill it or first guy to kill a big buck this year. He shot one right out of the gate. He shot a big eight-pointer, but we didn't talk about him yet. But I'll never forget we're sitting in the blind and here come this uh, little two-by-one, you know, 12-pointer. Uh, here he come. And he's <laughs> just a yearling, and he's coming, walking up, and he's walking up to the blind, and Clint's got the shakes, you know, and he was uh, he was in front of the camera talking about Dad and I doing whitetail management and everything, and, <laughs> <laughs> and that buck stopped, and he's like five yards outside the window, and he's putting his head down. He's eating some, he's eating in a corn right in front of us, you know. And Clint's looking at me. He looks over. He goes, "What do you think, Dad?" I said, "Whatever you want to do, buddy." And he drew back and drilled that buck, you know, and it ran over. And I laughed when we went over, and you know, it was one of the best moments when I videoed Clint with that little spike. He was holding him up, and he said. I looked him over and I could tell he wasn't going to be much. So I <laughs> management, typical management buck. <laughs> That's awesome. You know, he, the mind frame was there, you know, the management <laughs> might not have been, but he was in the right mind frame, frame, you know, he was, he was managing his white tails and everything with a horn was part of that process. You know, and we all went through that. That's I right. killed a killed hundred of them with my gun before I killed one with my bow and, I loved every moment of it. I would never want to erase that out of the memory of my life. You know, standing beside a big buck with my dad, he just shot with his rifle. It was, uh, you know, something that I'll I'll never forget. And it, it, maturing into a, a whitetail hunter that, you know, when the day comes that the season's over and you didn't kill a deer and it doesn't matter to you is the day that you become a great whitetail hunter. And, and that takes age, you know, and, you, you know, you, when you're young, you want to kill stuff and you want to watch them go down and your friends are killing them. And it's, uh, uh, you know, uh, it is what it is. Yeah. Everybody, when they're really young, they feel they need to kill something every year to show that you're a great hunter. And that's our, our ancestors were like that because when our ancestors killed something that fed the tribe or it felt fed the caveman. Um, you know, now you can pass the, pass them up, and at the end of the season, you can run to the store and get some hamburger, and we'll all be all right. <laughs> that's where we're that's at. That's the right enlightened now. path that uh, Matt and I are on. Yeah, right that's now. right. Well, we we've kept yeah, you fishing, fishing. a lot like that around our house. You know, whatever I'm fishing for, Carrie will ask me before I leave, "What are you fishing for today?" And I said, "Why?" She goes, "I want to know what I need to thaw out." <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Boom, nailed it. <laughs> Well, we, we've kept you long enough. Usually we got some shenanigans we get into, but I, I don't want to keep you any longer here. It, what, where can people find you? Follow along. We've been talking about all these awesome clips and you, you've sh shared with us, you know, uh, how it's going to play out. Where can they actually see this stuff at? So all my, all my videos uh, debut on Tim Wells Bowhunter YouTube. So you can watch them there. But my Facebook followers right now, we're right at 3 million followers on Tim Wells Bowhunter and Tim Wells Relentless Pursuit. I, I put a lot of the videos up there, but both platforms carry uh, hundreds of videos and they're all bow hunting, spear hunting or blowgun hunting. And every now and again, I'll throw a boomerang hunt in there with my brother Buck in Texas. <laughs> we got a lot of fun stuff. We keep it lighthearted. We welcome anybody that wants to come on there. You can critique me all you like. And uh, we're just trying to have a good time and, and live out our lives as, you know, conservative people here in the Midwest and living the good life. It's been been a, been a wonderful time with family and friends and growing up with the Durys on TV. It's uh, it's been good to be a hunter. It's uh, we, we 
we love following along and you, the friendship is, as much as anything. I, I know Mark and Terry, we all appreciate that as much as anything. And, and the voice that you have for all outdoorsmen and women out there, it's, it's, uh, it's important to have people standing up and, and you've done a, a great job of that for, for a long, long time. So we appreciate it and, uh, hope that one day, I know Terry keeps talking about it, that you and you and him are going to get together there somewhere near Canton or Peoria and you're going to have a beer. And he said that the night yeah, that that finally happens he's a little worried what's gonna happen after <laughs> ever since the time i got him drunk and recorded him then he wasn't knowing we were recording i've been holding that against him so you know he he's he's really cautious now about coming got leverage on him yeah <laughs> old man smart he's been around the block <laughs> you know one, one, last, one last thing before we let tim go we should say you know as it's a we're approaching the christmas season if you're looking for a gift tim does cameos uh, do you <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Twenty five bucks, and it's a profit thing. You understand? <laughs> you know, just, get on my cameo. I say something. If you got somebody that needs a me to say something to him this Christmas, jump on my cameo page, and uh, we'll make fun of whoever you want me to make fun of. And uh, it's a lot of it's it's pretty cool. I got a long list. <laughs> you also on your website though. You also you you sell a lot of products of, that people can hunt yeah. with, right? So. Absolutely. I make the world's best blowgun. Literally, it is the best. It shoots fast. And I, I've, uh, you know, I built some broadheads for little blow blow darts that you could kill bears or, you know, I killed a big muley last year in, uh, in uh, Mexico and squirrels and raccoons. I All my traps now, when I check my traps, instead of, you know, clubbing them on the head or whatever or shooting a hole with a, a rifle i just dart them in the heart and in 15 seconds they're healed over and it make keeps the height nice and you know we uh we build a trap call and and my new trap call is called the kill squeak and the kill squeak let me grab one real quick here for you the kill squeak it sounds dangerous the kill squeak this thing right here i'm really proud of this this is my invention all right and Tom Miranda helps endorse it, and he has used it. And all the uh, this little thing right here, you put a uh, two batteries in it, triple A's, and it squeaks 24 hours a day for 10 days. All right, and it just goes. And you put that in the grass, like where you put a dirt hole trap, or anywhere you can ambush bobcats and coyotes. You just fluff up the grass a little bit, put that call underneath there. And I have gone from, you know, probably 7% success out of 50 traps to 30 to 40%, you know, every evening. And nice. you catch a lot of raccoons, you catch a lot of bobcats, fools the coyotes, the wisest of wise step right in it. And I can't wait to uh, share a, a, a clip this year of a wolf stepping on the on the trap with my call too. So I got some amazing videos coming your way for predators coming in, and I use that that little call, and it works good. Awesome, man! Gift guide Sweet. for this Christmas, right yeah, there. Right. Now, where what website do they get that on? Go get all my stuff at slockmaster.com and the kids blow guns. I, the girls have been shipping them as fast as they can lately. I mean, everybody, all the kids love them. And, you know, Bass Pro asked me if I would give them the demographics of my 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 followers so that, uh, you know, they're making their decision whether they're going to pay me enough money, you know. And so uh, I sent in the demographics. and I'll never forget the guy called me back. He goes, this is all good, buddy, but 
50 percent of everybody that watches you is under 14 years old <laughs> but kids love my stuff and they uh, they all want to be slock masters and the best way to get them started was the slock master junior that's a cool little blow gun and and uh it's it's a nerf gun you shoot rabbit targets and and uh, birds and stuff like that you know will get hurt but then they can move up to my uh, viper blow gun and that's the one you can kill the bear with if you need to that's pretty cool that's awesome man so <laughs> what's that thank you yeah so you know we appreciate like i said we appreciate you jumping on and uh if anybody wants to find tim you know where to find them now. If anybody wants to buy a cool product for Christmas, you know where to get that too. And uh, we wish you guys the best of the rest of the season here, buddy. I appreciate it, man. A lot of fun talking with you. Good luck with the whitetail hunting and tell Terry, uh, I'm still waiting for him. Hey, you know, he'll be over there this weekend. I'm not saying where, but you know, it's the, the, he too will get a, well, he's already killed uh, with firearms before. It's his camera guy and farm manager. He's got a, a gun tag there for Illinois this weekend. So they'll be back over there, uh, you know, trying to get it done with, uh, with, uh, I'm yeah. pretty sure it's a muzzleloader well, tag. I know where he hunts. Tell him if he uh, smells uh, coyote urine in his, uh, his, his ground blind, I have no idea what happened. Okay, I will. <laughs> All right, man. Well, we Thanks, appreciate Tim. you. Thank you very much. Hey, appreciate you guys. Take right. care now. Talk yeah. soon. <laughs> All right. Fun episode, man. Big time. Big All time. Right. Until next time, I think we should close her off. Let's do it. All right. Peace out, everybody. DeerCast is now supercharged with maps. Get ahead of your game with killer new features like live Doppler radar, wind check out to five days, virtual rain gauges, GPS path tracking, and more. Plus, get our 14-day revolutionary DeerCast prediction and access to DeerCast track. Prep, predict, and pursue with DeerCast.